finding someone who you know whose thesis aligns genuinely and you're not trying to shoehorn it into the business and you always ask you know, it's one of the first things you say what is your investment thesis and it'll either ring true or it won't and as tempting as it might be uh if, if it's not right it's not right welcome to the ninth episode of the chief metachicks podcast i'm your host nikki scriven I'm the founder of Chief Metachicks, a business I launched in late 2022 after a long career as an executive in business, marketing and branding, and most recently as the CEO of Zenith Media. Chief Metachicks is a community and a movement designed to level the playing field for women in business, leadership and technology. Our mission is to unlock and unleash the power of women by upskilling them in Web3 and AI technologies through education and training, and providing them with the tools and knowledge they need to thrive in the digital age. So whether you're an aspiring entrepreneur or a seasoned business owner, Chief Metachicks offers a wealth of resources and inspiration to help you develop and scale your business initiatives and leadership skills. And this podcast aims to bring inspiration and insight to our listeners as we delve into the stories and journeys of female founders, entrepreneurs, and leaders. We will share their highs and lows, trials and tribulations, key learnings and pivotal moments. To get us underway today, I will be interviewing Michelle Schuberg. Michelle is the Chief Executive Officer and founder of Curious. She started her career dancing and in the performing arts and then had an extensive career in marketing and advertising before founding and becoming the CEO of Curious, an immersive tech innovator and actually the platform on which Chief Metachicks World is built upon. This interview covers a number of important topics, including how to take an audience on a journey from A to B, the importance of doing your research and listening to as many experts as possible, and sourcing a broad set of opinions from which to form your own opinion and then backing it. Also knowing your investment thesis and ensuring that your investment partners are the right fit, and having a vision for the future and staging it out as just because you can build it now doesn't mean the world is actually ready for it. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode with Michelle Schuberg of Curious. Hello and welcome to the Chief Metachicks podcast. And today I have Michelle Schuberg joining me on the show. Welcome, Michelle. Hi, Nikki. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. Um, many of our members are familiar with Chief Metachicks World, which is built on the Curious platform, which is your business. So I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today and to share a little bit about your founder journey and what it's like to be sort of working in that space, um, you know, with a software platform. Um, so can you give us a little bit of context on your career to date and how you came about being the founder of Curious? Absolutely. Um but I want to start by saying we are so excited to have Chief Metachicks on the platform. It is like a, a, a beautiful coming together of, of passion points for me. So we're, we're really thrilled to be part of your, your world. My career, I often describe myself as a, a bit of a mutt. Um, I have, a, 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 at a glance, a very, very varied background. But there has been one through line for me across a bunch of really different roles and industries and that is how to take an audience on a journey from A to B and what are the most efficient touch points along that continuum to get them from A to B most quickly. Now for me that started actually in contemporary dance and physical theatre and so 
you know, A, it was an audience full of people who were in all sorts of different mindsets and and B, was some director's vision or whim. And, um, you know, in the late 90s when I discovered that this was actually a useful skill for enterprise as well, and I'm like, oh, but we can do a bit of research and understand the base state a little more deeply and the end state is a business outcome, not a director's whim. So I, that was a beautiful transition moment and a really exciting moment for me. But as I've moved through marketing, training, advertising, um, you know, live, online, immersive and virtual, it, it really that that absolute dedication and passion and excitement, genuine excitement for um, shifting an audience from a base state to a to an end state is is really the driver. It's it's my through line. Beautiful. And so, how did how did that journey come into Curious? So, Curious is um, an immersive platform. It's was it conceived as an event platform to start with, or you know how did how did that all come about? No, it 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 wasn't. It really is something that's been bubbling away for me for many, 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 many years, just the recognition that there has to be another way to enable people to gather skills, gather knowledge, gather connection with each other beyond what's available, which is either very high touch, very high cost live experiences, which are wonderful, but in fact actually better suited to our physiology for anything that's action-based. So planning, workshopping, you know, I guess brainstorming, networking and interaction, but actually not at all well suited to learning. And there must have, you know, I felt there really had to be something other than that or a webinar, which we know is really not designed to work in the way that our human brains want to work. We want to participate. We don't want to just sit there as passive witnesses. Our brains are not designed for that. And also the data that you could, that you can or can't get out of either of those modalities always left me a little bit um, feeling a little bit like there must be more that we can do. So somehow I, uh, I, I always felt that I wanted to create something that could bring the best of both pull into that a really good understanding of um, of the human brain and how we work and how we're wired and then deliver that in a way that is really accessible because one of the things I have noticed over time is very often the people that have the best access to the best resources are not the ones that need it most. You know, there's a fairly, fairly big disparity, um, whether that be because of geography, because of gender, because of socioeconomic impact, um, you know, the the disparity between the folk that really need access the most and the ones that have it the most has, has always been an area of frustration as well. So I think as um, emerging tech started to evolve and become a much more viable option, I started thinking, hang on a minute, here's, here's the chance to actually deliver something. And, of course, when the pandemic hit, uh, it gave everybody... Um, cause to pause, of course, and and have a bit of a do-over, which really how many times in one's career or lifetime do you get a proper do-over and go, well, actually, hang on, let's think about all of those behaviours and patterns around communication that we were just falling into line with and not questioning even though they were decades and decades and decades old, um, 
you know, well, let's actually take a, a really radical look at what does work and what doesn't work and what is just habit and what is there because it's adding value and, and strip that back and start again. So there was, a, a again, a nice crossroad of the technology becoming um, feasible at a time when the world was ready to start looking at alternative solutions. So that, that was a nice moment, I guess, as well. Yeah, it's it's so fascinating because, I mean, when I first came up with the idea of Chief Metachicks, it was, you know, it was an NFT project and, and I used to laugh and, you know, sort of call it um, business mentoring and coaching meets Shark Tank in the metaverse. And, yeah. you know, my plan was to build an environment um, over time or a, a world, Chief Metachicks world, in a metaverse environment. And when I launched the business, I realised, well, actually just prior to launching, I realised that, you know, there's not enough women in this space yet anyway. So I took a step back and and just reorged my business plan. And Chief Metachicks World was a, a three years down the track piece because we needed to go on this education journey first. Right. And then I met you and I saw the Curious platform and I thought, my God, I can do it straight away. Like this is just amazing for me, you know, that this product exists and can actually deliver what we want. We can live stream into the environment. We can host events. Um, we can have different content and resources and training modules and information available on the galleries in the space. And it's that that 3D immersive environment that actually allows people to come in um, and experience it, but in a very web to user-friendly, user experience way. So it was just a dream come true for me. I was just like, oh my God, I want this. I need this in my life right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome to hear. Yeah, look, I, th I think as the technology becomes more advanced, people's understanding of how to use it is there's less pressure on the user. You know, you, you can, it's, it can be far more intuitive. And I think the other thing that's really important is the amount of data that you get out of it. Um, the idea of creating a perpetual world as well where it's not come in and talk and then we'll come back six months later and talk again. But the fact that you can start to look at active daily users, you can start to bring people in and out in a much more regular fashion means that you can also tailor how you address them over time when you start to see some of that behavioural data around a particular cohort. So to me, the data and being able to respond to some meaningful data um, over time is, is another really exciting opportunity because it means instead of speculating about what we think is is working and why we think it should work you can actually look and and one of the things that I really love most is seeing how different different cohorts are you know we've you know you have some cohorts that are real early birds and want to play you have uh, others who are less social and are all in there at night time but they're doing their work at the end of the day and it's like oh well actually this this valuable data for someone to have around how their group is naturally behaving how you can lean into that how you can work to shift it if it doesn't align with with you know certain values or, or requirements for your business but at least the knowledge is is there uh, for customers to do what they want with yeah, it's amazing. And, you know, it's you're really stepping into that sort of early stage Web3 space. I mean, I know it's built on Web2 technology. What does the future look like for Curious? Like what, what's the roadmap into the future and how do you see um, this evolving potentially into a Web3 space moving forward? Look, we are always designing everything with one eye on the future, but there is no point building something that the world isn't ready for yet. And so for me, there is enormous value in taking people on the journey and letting them start now in a way that they they can 
um, manage and maintain and be effective in, but with a view for, you know, we, gosh, we have all sorts of exciting plans and exciting conversations around what functionality can come online as the technology evolves and I think or becomes more mainstream. And I think that one of the things that will become far more um, a dominant force in the platform is the idea of going to work there. You know, I love the idea of being able to alleviate that tension in a room around hybrid, how many days? Oh, we want to come back to the office. Well, hang on, then you're never going to be an employer of choice if you mandate five days a week in the office. But actually there's there's so much tension and people are getting a little tired of that conversation. I'm like, well, actually, why not have a town square for your business where everyone can come together irrespective of whether they're sitting in an office in a tower block or an office in their house? You can transcend all of that and have this place where you turn up to work every day have conversations with people in a, in a natural, free, organic way with, with audio and video and uh, conduct business, you know, with all of the benefits of being together but without sort of needing to, you know, force a structure that's possibly going to have some limitations moving forward. Yeah, it's so interesting that you say that because I was listening to the Lex Friedman podcast with Mark Zuckerberg the other day. I don't know if you've seen it, um, but it, they were using sort of new technology which brings them together, like, you know, in different parts of the world. But, you know, they could literally see the features on each other and felt like they were in the same room and it's that immersive technology that, you know, is going to create the way that we operate and connect in the future without having to physically be in the same space while still feeling like we're in the same space. And I think what the Curious platform does is allows you to come together and that was what was so beneficial for me because when we were running pitch events um, in different time, you know, four different time zones, it was really challenging to try to pick a time zone that was friendly in Australia, the UK, the US, Singapore, you know, like it was mental. And so people were missing out. And so what we do now is actually record even on this platform and then put that into Chief Medichick's world. And so people can attend live if they want to and they can come into the environment, but also they have the opportunity to see that pitch and feel like they're involved in that pitch because it's it's loaded up and it's it's in Chief Medichick's world and they can come in when it suits them. Yeah. So I think it's it's really helpful technology, but, you know, where does it go where we're, you know, we've got a scan of our facial features and the way our face moves and and you're actually talking, but it's it's AI, you know, picking how your face is going to move. So it feels like it's real, mm. really interesting space. Uh, absolutely. And I think, you know, the processing power of the machines will evolve and we'll be able to make use of those things that we're seeing as possibilities. But um the last thing we want to do is build something that, you know, someone can't use on a five-year-old Mac because there's no point building it if it's not accessible. And so, um, you know, that that's really where the the limitation sits. You know, the opportunity is there. It's just is it is it right right now? The other thing that I really wanted to solve with the platform, which you've just touched on, is bridging the gap between synchronous and asynchronous communication. And so you're right, being able to schedule something because we do operate in a far more global capacity than we ever have before being able to schedule something that suits the majority of folks from a time perspective but then have it available afterwards but have them still able to contribute through some of the asynchronous um, interactive components 
and let them do something synchronous with people who might be in their time zone at the same time as them as well. So it's trying to um, do everything that we can to bridge that experience gap too so that if you're watching it later as a as a replay, you don't feel like you're missing out any more than you have to, you know, trying to bring that experience and um, physicalise that experience as much as we can because we know the learning outcomes and the retention and recall of information is so much greater that way. Yeah. And so it's really interesting for me because, you you know, you've come from a sort of artistic dance background, which is something I didn't know before, and I also did a dance drama <laughs> degree. So I'm just like yet another point of uh, <laughs> connection with us. I tend to promote very often, but you did ask where, <laughs> where I came from. Yeah. Absolutely. But, you know, you've been pioneering as a, a woman in this sort of tech space. How did that journey come about for you? What was your transition into the tech area and how did you find that journey in what is particularly, or well, as we know it, quite a male-dominated industry? Yeah, I think I am just quite mm, naive maybe. I just head on into things without thinking about the limitations too much and then a bunch of people start pointing them out and I'm like, oh, really? And I stop and have a look around and I go, oh, I guess you're right, but it doesn't make sense, so I'll just ignore that. So I think um, I, I think maybe that that's the way through. But I worked um, for a couple of decades in agency land prior to moving into tech and into startup land and I was a creative director and then an ECD and that also is a very male-dominated space. And so I think I had, I, I became accustomed to that being a conversation um, quite early, you know, probably nearly sort of 15 years or so ago. I remember at one point someone doing a survey and there were 100 creative directors in Australia at the time and there were four women. And I just remember always being surprised when I hear those sorts of stats, but I don't really s- stop or let it bother me too much you know I um and 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 of course moving then into startup and it's been a really interesting journey because there's a lot of conversations around women in tech yeah women in tech women as startups and then the one that has been brought to my attention somewhat recently is that apparently it turns out I'm actually quite old to be starting a startup as well so (laughs) so it's like as a mature woman in a tech how rude (laughs) what sort of anomaly are you and what's the secret? And I was like, I just think it might be um, that I don't think it matters, so therefore I don't make it matter. Yeah, love it. I, I, and, I, and that might not be as helpful as some other answers I could give, but it's. But I, I have honestly been really quite reflective over, over this over the years, going, why is this not an issue for me and so many other people are finding it an issue and I think it's just has to be a mindset thing. Yeah, I think so too. And and the successful founders are the ones that are not limited by self-belief, you know, and they're just, if it feels right, they're, they're leaning into it. Yeah. And the more the more I speak to, be it leaders in Chief Metachicks or, you know, founders and members coming through our, our coaching program, they just, if it feels right, they have a go. And I think, you know, you, you can't, you can't live your life through fear and limitation you're only going to pave a new path if you're opening yourself to the universe and possibility and and it just seems to be quite a trait I want to touch on what you said around age because I think that the industry that you're operating in 
is in that tech space. And if you think of the young ones coming through, they're the digital natives and they, you know, they've been brought up with screens and, and technology. And, you know, one of the things that I really noticed very early on in the journey of Chief Metachicks is there's these young women doing amazing or young girls even doing incredible stuff, earning six-figure salaries, you know, creating um, fashion items in Roblox, you know, yep. like yep. it's crazy and leaning into this Web3 space with no business skills at all. In fact, some of them are still in school. And so then they come into earning money and they don't know about their tax obligations. They don't know about governance structures. They have no idea how to run a business. They've just been innovative and creative and brands have gone, hey, can you do this for me? And so they're, all of a sudden they're finding their way making money, similar to what we've seen the journey of influencers yep. where, you know, they've built a community and all of a sudden brands want to jump in and help them commercialise that community, but there's still a lack of business skills. Then you look at our generation, and I'm not going to call us old, even though I damn well feel it, um, you know, where you come out of a career and, and see a need for something and kind of get to that point where you are either financially able to go, okay, this is a stage where I'm going to have a crack myself, you know, I've got the kids through school or whatever it is. Um, or you want to change something in the world because you think that there's a better way and you've got the skills and the network and the business skills. And what I'm seeing is not always the sort of tech and the innovation and the digital savvy. And so what we're doing in Chief Metachicks is bringing those worlds together um, and, you know, teaching the business skills to the younger ones, younger and older is not probably the right description, but then equally, um, you know, helping women educate, understand technology, understand the new way, understand the opportunities in Web3 so that they can see and conceive and create and commercialise other opportunities. So I think, you know, you you are unique in that you've got that, that digital savvy and that tech side of it, which is why I think you're so successful in what you're doing. And, and also how you seem to attract funding as well. Look, I think the single biggest measure of success or indicator of success is a fairly brutal self-reflection. So no one has got the full pie. Um, yeah. So if you've got the tech now, but you don't have the business skills, if you've got the business skills but there may be some tech, you know, I just certainly don't have the full pie, but being very, very, very honest with yourself about where your strengths are and where your gaps are and going and finding folk that are way smarter than you in those gap areas um, and listening to them and learning from them and listening to as many of them as you can because the other thing you figure out over time is that everyone's just making it up so you may talk to an expert in a field who has a very, very passionate view on something and you may talk to another expert in the same field who has a diametrically opposed but equally passionate view on something. So I think, you know, the um, ability to be genuinely um, self-aware and to do something about it and to remove ego from it, I don't think that is an age needs to be an age-based thing. I think that is an innate skill that people have or don't have but can certainly be learned. Um, and to me that's a, a really big indicator. The thing that I have learnt over time and, and more so in this startup journey than any other time 
is getting a broad enough set of opinions that you can then make your own somewhat educated um, uh, extrapolation of because you, at the end of the day, need to form your own opinion, you need to back that opinion, sometimes in very difficult trying circumstances. So knowing that you really did your research is, um, you know, is is often a, a, a great comfort when you might be backing a view in the face of dissenters for whatever reason. More from Michelle in a minute. Recently, I had the pleasure of chatting with Carolyn Breeze, the Chief Executive Officer of Scalare Partners. We spoke about understanding that Web3 is not just cryptocurrency, the benefits of the blockchain, including speed, reliability, transparency and security, and the importance of leaning into Web3 to explore relevant use cases across industries. Here's a little snippet from that episode. For the construction industry, it's actually being able to create a smart contract around a build. You have a smart contract and a lot of the, the builders and then the contractors and the subcontractors, they're all borrowing against this future asset in order to be able to deliver the product. And there's a lot of like milestone money placed, not only from banks and other financial institutions, but also for the contractors and the builders themselves, money gets exchanged at certain pieces of completion. And there's a lot of risk in that industry at the moment around, uh, is it going to be completed? Is it going to be done to the level that we expected in the time that we expected? And then ultimately, are you going to have the money to pay me at the milestone as agreed? And so what these smart contracts allowed everybody to do is have full transparent access to all of those milestones. You can listen to that brilliant chat with Carolyn by going to chiefmetachicks.com slash podcasts or subscribing to the show. Okay, let's get back to our amazing guest, Michelle Schuberg of Curious. So you've had quite a bit of success securing VC funding, and we've all heard the stats that, you know, only 1% to 2% of female founders secure VC funding. Can you talk us through your journey, um, you know, where you sort of started? Look, the the funding landscape is um, is really interesting. <laughs> I find it fascinating my advice to people going in is um, is to have a think about whether you want angel, high net worth, individual investors or whether you do want to go the VC route because they are going to drive quite different outcomes for the business. Um, we started with high net worth angels, family offices, um, you know, personal um, investors and I did not appreciate when I started out in that space how lucky I got actually with the first couple of people on board that I, I joke that they put the angel in angel investor and they are still very very close to us today we speak several times a week um, I've never felt in my entire career that someone has my back as much as these people have my back. It's it's truly an incredible experience and I didn't mm, realise how lucky that was until now a couple of years on I see how rare that is. Um, so I did get very lucky but what it made me realise is um, what good looks like and so then I knew what I wasn't prepared to settle for. So I think understanding types of money 
Um, you know, someone talked to me very early on about smart money and dumb money. It's a, a terrible phrase, but people who want to be involved in the business and people who want to invest and see a, a return based on your forecast. And I think having the right mix of both is very important. And again, it comes down to where your knowledge gaps are and and where someone can come and add genuine value in that in that way. And sometimes you have to say no to a great financial opportunity because somebody wants to be actively involved in the business or take an advisory seat um, in an area that you already have a lot of um, input advice or, or existing knowledge in. And so you really need to find that fit um, rather than just take the money that you can get. And sometimes it's hard to say no because, you know, you're out there trying to raise and it's really hard to raise in this environment. Um, so I then pivoted and we, we have most recently closed around um which we're calling a, a seed round with our first um, VC. And again, that was a, a, you know, quite a long journey and it was as much me getting to know them as them getting to know me because f- for me having the wrong person on board in that capacity could, uh, it, it can be make or break. And I, again, you know, it's quite early days, but I am so thrilled with um, Galileo that we are um, partnering with and, and uh, you know, they have um, deep SaaS startup expertise, um, which is really the biggest gap is is the, the sort of the, um, you know, the sassiness as opposed to the product market fit, market opportunity. That's the, that's the stuff that we've got in spades, but the um, disciplines that come with scaling SaaS is something that um, I identified that we wanted to bring into the business and they bring that. Their MO is taking Australian companies who have taken niche technology, in our case it's gaming technology, and applying it to an enterprise solution. And so we fit their thesis beautifully. Um, and finding someone who, who you know whose thesis aligns genuinely and you're not trying to shoehorn it into the business and you always ask it's one of the first things you say what is your investment thesis and it'll either ring true or it won't and as tempting as it might be uh if if it's not right it's not right yeah it's so interesting you say that because you know I've spoken to many other organizations that have secured VC funding and and to your point around whether they want to be involved in the business you know it often pushes them in a direction that they don't want to go or inhibits them from expanding into directions that they do want to go because the money's tied up and there's, you know, these inputs and control and and direction and it can be quite frustrating for a founder. Um, So, yeah, I think it's it's such sage advice that, you know, you've got to find the right investor and and alignment and work out what you actually need. Do you need the money? Do you need the networks and contacts? Do you need the expertise? Do you need the input? Yeah, and, and, you know, you wouldn't be raising if you didn't need the money, but it has to be right on other levels as well because otherwise you, you will come to regret it very quickly. And I think uh, appreciating and understanding what your view on a path to exit is because um, a path to exit for a private investor is quite different to a path to exit for a VC. You know, they want quite different things. They want a different level of return and they want it over a different time period. So... You know, if, if you want to get to 10x and, and, and jump out in three years' time, then don't talk to a VC. 
you know, if you want to get to 50 or 100x and it might take you seven, eight, nine years and you've got that in you, then you could talk to a VC. So I think really understanding what it is that you see for the business and and it's not just what you've got in you as well, but understanding your product and whether it is something that has the opportunity to scale and continue a significant growth trajectory over a longer period of time or whether it's something that is going to be a quick build and a trade sale. You know, so really having a good look and knowing what that beacon on the hill is as well is, is really important. Yeah, so true. So, you know, you've been running Curious for some time. How many years now? You know, I think it's it's come, it's over two years. It's coming up to three. Yeah, okay. Oh, mm. is it only that? Gosh, I didn't realise you are quite that young. Um, mm. So what are some of the best lessons that you've learned along the way? You know, it's quite the journey sort of jumping from what you've done before into running your own business. What can you share with us some of your best learnings? Yeah, yeah, and I did have a nice step change working um, in a sort of a virtual reality space, productizing um, and offering in that space. So I got a really good level of education from that that I could apply to this. So, so that was incredibly valuable to me. The thing that I have, I think, learned most through um, through the whole startup journey is probably largely irrelevant what the area is mine happens to be software and emerging tech but it could really be anything but for me the the startup journey I think you have to have something that you passionately believe in because otherwise like it's hard it's hard work right it's exhausting so if you don't get genuinely excited like I am genuinely excited that we are making communications far more humane for the user and far more effective and measurable for the customer. And I get really excited about that because in my mind, throughout my career, I've seen a really big gap there. I could talk about that all day and and I feel genuine excitement. And I think if you're not genuinely passionate about something, then you will burn out way too fast the other thing that I have really, really learned is, um, you know, I touched on it before around the opportunity to speak to because, you know, I have spoken to literally hundreds of investors. And so pitching to literally, pitching the same story to literally hundreds of people, like hundreds, um, what I have found incredibly interesting is you know, this is a cohort of people who are very um, confident of their own views, which is interesting for a start. Like, wow, you're really, really as passionate about what you believe in as I am about what I believe in with this product, which is great because otherwise they probably wouldn't be in that space anyway. But they have wildly varying views as well. Um, someone once said to me, if you ask three VCs, you'll get six opinions, which is very, very, very true. And so for me, establishing what is baseline what is the consistency over that decent sample set of human beings that I know I need to meet and match because that's the price of entry and then what is the stuff that's varied so wildly that I can put my own stake in the ground and say well here's what I believe and here's what this business believes does it align or does it not and so over time that understanding of ticket to ride price of entry stuff and things that are so wildly varied, I think, has been um, 
incredibly valuable, incredibly valuable because it lets me um, really have the courage of my convictions when I'm going out and, and maybe have a different view to somebody on a particular thing because, you know, it can be challenging sometimes when you are met with someone who's got more experience, has had more success, has had a bunch of great exits, and and they're telling you that you're doing it wrong. Um, of course, you need to listen to that, but you could, I'd imagine, find yourself flip-flopping in response to this advice that's being delivered as a bit of a fait accompli um, if you weren't able to take a step back and... and um, and look at it a little more objectively across a broader group of people and a broader group of conversations. Yeah, interesting. And I, I think the other thing that's really interesting when you go into running your own business and you know seeking investment and all of those things, there's so much that you don't know that you don't know. What are some of the things that you didn't know that you didn't know at the time and how did you plug the gaps along the way? I think that comes back to that self-reflection. Uh, for me, I, I didn't know that I didn't know how um, how uh, unrewarding an investor relationship can be until I spoke to other people who've had very, very, very different experiences to me. And so, as I said, I got incredibly lucky there, but I know it can be a really challenging, um, sometimes a little soul-destroying journey for some people. So I did not know how hard that would be. Um, and how it's not about pitching the idea and having someone believe in the idea. That's just the first step. There's so much more in the relationship match than just them believing that you're going to do well and they can make some money off you. You know, it's it's that's just the tip of the iceberg and I had no idea. Um, you know, I think the, the stakeholder management there is really interesting and I do think you know agency land is a great um is a great training ground for that if you know especially working for the big holding companies you know you do have those layers and levels of governance and reporting that um you know I do think is a really good a really good primer for this world yeah here here <laughs> it amazes me how much our our careers have done similar things yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah, fascinating. And so I, I think the thing with, you know, founders, it's the highs and lows. Like when you're running your own business, there's the, you have the highest of highs and then you can have crashing lows. What excites you most about your journey and how have you managed those highs and lows along the way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I, I often say this too shall pass, which is a really old saying, and it's normally aimed at difficult times, but don't forget it in the good times as well, right? Like enjoy, like it's so easy to skip past the good stuff because it's all good. Yeah. And something's going well, you're just trucking along. So stop, take a moment, smell the roses, celebrate that little win, which is critically important when you're running a team of people who are putting their blood, sweat and tears into your startup. Yeah. You know, acknowledging those wins along the way is incredibly, incredibly important. Equally important is not to get cocky and not to rest on your laurels because they will pass. And yeah. and time goes so quickly. It's it's the, the passage of time and you think, oh, I'm going to achieve X, Y, Z by this date. And you're like, where did, you know, where did that time go? Because everything is so busy. Um, time just 
flies. So things always take a little longer, which maybe that's just me. Uh, things always take longer than you want them to. <laughs> yep, here, here. Um, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, it is it, this this industry and I think what attracts people into this startup space, it is so fast. It is so fast-paced and I think you've got to have an appetite for that. And I agree with you that the breeding ground of the agency landscape, I mean, everything is instantaneous. It is so fast. I think that's why I stayed in it for so long because I loved it. And then you you move into startup world and it's even quicker. <laughs> even quicker. And, and, you know, so that adrenaline, you know, it's, it's. I remember someone saying to me once, there's no such thing as a marketing emergency. And I'm like, well, come and work with me for a week and then say that, you know, it's, a, it's um, you know, you've got to keep it in perspective, but it is pacey and it is. Um, and startup land, as you say, is even pacier. Who knew? Yeah, I, I think in the advertising space, you're at the end, and this is what I used to sort of say to people that were new into the industry, um, you're at the end of the process. When you're in a corporate, and I've worked on sort of all sides of, of this industry, when you're a marketer in an organisation, you're just so focused on that product or service. So you don't have breadth of perspective you just honed in and focused and there's just so much red tape and bureaucracy that happens before you get a budget approved you know mm. or before a campaign is approved and so you you're just going through all of that rigor and the marketing and advertising is is probably five to ten percent of your job there's so many other things that go into your job as a, a cmo and then you get the budget approved and then you brief the agency and it's like this and that you hand off to the agency. But then I want everything now because they've been through all this red tape and now they want to see the product that they've finally got approval on yeah. and it's usually been delayed and so then you're pushing deadlines. And so I think that's what drives the pace in the advertising and the mm -hmm. agency space. And you've got to have you know, you've got to have the right mentality for that because it is full on. And if you yeah. like that adrenaline, you like that pace, that's great. But if you've come from a corporate environment, it's quite a culture shock to come into that space. But I, th I agree with you. It's, it's a great breeding ground for startup because every day there's something new happening and you've just got to roll with it. And you've got to roll with it. I think it's a good, um, it's a, it's a good, primer for parenthood and I think it's a good primer for startup I used to always say actually and I've got a few friends and colleagues over the years that have gone into disaster relief and become first responders um, out of agency land and it's that ability to be resourceful think on the spot um, you know thrive in pressure problem solve um, that makes them really really well suited to that environment same skills for startup land yeah, fascinating. And so what advice do you have for aspiring women entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs in general um, who are just starting their journey now? Yeah, I would say do something that you are really passionate about and that you can see um, what the, the vision is. You need that beacon on the hill. Like I, I have a vision for the product that is, uh, you know, gosh, so much more comprehensive than where it is now. I'm very proud of, of the product that it is today and the steps along the way, but I am so excited for the future. And, uh, you know, I, I do have, I guess, the benefit of experience that lets me understand the pacing. Just because we can build it now doesn't mean the world is ready for it now. Um, yeah. And so you also have to be able to sell and sustain a business as well. So that that 
opportunity to realize the vision is a really big driving force for me and the passion genuine passion that I have for it is the thing that sustains any of the um, any of the tricky times so I would say don't go into something because you think you're going to make a buck um, do something that you're really passionate about and if you're not really passionate about it you're setting yourself up for a really tough time um, and then I guess the self-reflection piece. So really, really have a good hard look at yourself. And and the challenge there is is striking that balance between having the courage of your convictions and going into bat for what you believe, but taking the knowledge and the wisdom of as many people as you can and assimilating that into your own interpretation of of um rules and parameters for your own product uh, you know that that balance striking that balance but being very intentional and conscious about that all the time yeah that's wonderful it's really interesting because um you know other guests that I've had on the podcast have talked about the importance of that purpose and passion particularly yeah. when you're running your own business and then I've had some recent conversations too around just the differences of how um you know, males versus females pitch their businesses to VCs and also their aspirations for going into it. So what you just touched on then, you said don't go into make it a to make just to make a buck. A lot of guys go in to make money. And and you, when you even look at the Web3 space and a lot of the rug pulls and things that have come out, it has been about, you know, riding that hype cycle, getting in, making money, getting out. And then, you know, and I'm not this is not saying it's, it's only that way and only that way for women. But what I see coming into our organisation and the members and the, the businesses and women that we're coaching, they've seen a market need or there's been something missing or something's mm. happened and it is so purpose-driven that tends to, not always, but tends to drive women into business. And I love that your advice is be really purposeful because actually it, it is our superpower. But I think the thing that we need to balance in that is how are you going to make money? Because you can bust your chops doing good for others, but you still have to earn a living and it's not a bad thing. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. It has to be a commercial success. Um, otherwise it doesn't exist. You know, and you've got to be in the system to change the system. If you, if you fall over financially, then you're not helping anybody, you know. So, you know, I, I think that view of going in to make money, you know, there's, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that either. I see that more as an investor play almost than a, you know, there's investors that I know that are investors in in my business who have other ventures that are in and out quick buck, yeah. huge, huge multiples um, very quickly because they've seen an opportunity. And I think that is smart and savvy and the right thing for them to do as an investor. You know, as someone who is um, beginning their entrepreneurial journey, that is really challenging. I think a seasoned entrepreneur who has had many startups and many successful exits can go, oh, hang on, this is a quick flip. This is it's yeah. like someone who flips houses professionally versus someone who's sort of naively goes and buys the rundown haunted mansion and thinks they can renovate it and flip it and, you know, kill themselves in the process. It's it's really like that. So, it, you know, the question you asked was people starting out on their entrepreneurial journey. I would say, you know, for early players in the game, don't 
try flipping houses until you know a little bit more about the space. Yeah, yeah, great advice. Well, thank you, Michelle. It's just a pleasure to have you on the podcast and also just to kind of, you know, share with our our members and our followers that, you know, you are the woman behind the platform that is Chief Medichicks and it's a curious platform and, um, you know, we're we're thrilled and, and I'm so pleased that you've created this because, you know, you brought my dream to life in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, creating that virtual space to house our events and our content. So, um, huge thanks, you know, love all of our collaborations and, and can't wait to see what you've got next on the Curious platform because it'll be coming to life in Chief Medichick's world. Absolutely. And watch this space. There's some really exciting stuff coming down the pike. Well, there we have it, our ninth Chief Medichick's episode. Key takeouts are the importance of finding the right investment fit for your business, being passionate about what you do to ensure you can ride the highs and lows of the founder journey, having a well-researched and informed point of view and not flip-flopping every time you hear some expert advice, and not trying to flip houses until you've had some experience and actually know what you are doing. We'd also love you to rate the episode and podcast on iTunes or your favourite platform. It really does help with rankings and getting our messages and learnings out to as many people as possible. If you'd like to get your wings on too, then you can join at chiefmetachicks.com. And if you're interested in applying for our Pitch and Grow coaching program with our Chief Metachicks leaders, then please reach out at info at chiefmetachicks.com.